This is Archive Atlanta, episode 229, German Community. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday! So before we get into this week's episode, I have a public service announcement for everyone. Um, I am having a five-year podcast anniversary party. It's happening on Saturday, September 16th, 2023 at Grant and Little, which is in Grant Park. It's going to be from 2 to 5 p.m. And I have a ticket link in the show notes. If you don't know how to get the show notes or you need it or you have questions, send me a message anywhere. Write me an email. um, DM me. I am super excited about it. There is going to be Lots of snacks. There's alcohol, non-alcohol. There is going to be some fun history sharing. There is, I'm going to do like some kind of Q&A. And then generally, I'm just really excited to meet people. So I love meeting listeners and seeing who you guys are in real life. I say this all the time, but when you do a podcast, you know, I'm just sitting here alone in my room, um, putting it out to the universe. And it is always fun to hear you know, how people listen. And sometimes it's only on road trips and some people fold laundry and Super fun to hear that and to see what everybody looks like. So this week, we are talking about Atlanta's small but fascinating German community, who they were, when they arrived, and how they left their culture and their legacies around the city. I've said this before in episodes about ethnic minorities in Atlanta. We're not New York City. We're not Boston. We're not Chicago. To give you an idea, in 1890, the entire state of Georgia had only 1.78% of residents with foreign patronage. Now, they use these statistics actually to promote things, um, especially when they were trying to get the northern industries to move down south after the war, which is a whole nother podcast episode. I'm not going to get into that. Um, But they touted that, especially when they were having immigration issues in the northern cities. Atlanta's immigration story is really one that occurs post-1965 Immigration Act. And again, that's a story for another episode. But all that being said, there were small racial and ethnic communities from the founding of Atlanta um, all the way until now. I covered the Chinese community in episode 82. I did the Scottish in episode 115. And today, it's the Germans. The very first Germans in Atlanta also happened to be the very first Jewish residents. The period between 1820 and 1880 has generally been considered the era of German-Jewish immigration to the United States. In that span, 150,000 Jewish immigrants came from places that would later become part of a unified Germany or places in Central and Eastern Europe that later adopted German language or culture. Now, before we get into the history of Atlanta here, I am just going to make a blanket apology for my absolute butchering of these German words. I YouTubed a lot of the pronunciations, so, you know, for the big important words that I talked about a lot, but some of these last names, some of these towns, it is just going to be bad, so I'm sorry. In 1842, Jacob and Janetta Hirsch Haas left their town in Germany for America. They spent three years in Philadelphia before moving to Atlanta in 1845. And in that same year, Henry Levi, a bachelor from Frankfurt am Main, Germany, also arrived in Atlanta. And his younger brother followed him, but both Levi's left Atlanta in 1850 for the California Gold Rush. Before leaving, the Haas and the Levi's operated a general store together. In 1850, David Mayer uh, from Betchum, Betchum, Germany, opened a store in Atlanta and also organized the Fulton Lodge of Masons and the Hebrew Benevolent Association. 
Morris and Bertha Lazaron arrived in Atlanta after fleeing Germany after the 1848 revolution. And this revolution begets an explanation because it really factors into Atlanta's German non-Jewish immigration. This is a really brief summary, but the 1848 revolution centered around the ideas of political liberalization, nationalism, and socialism, as well as a response to an economic crisis that happened between 1845 and 1847. The Turners was a gymnastics, German gymnastics movement started by Friedrich Ludwig Jahn, the father of gymnastics. Um, That translates to Turnwater. So it's kind of hard to explain all of this, but the Turner movement in Germany is generally a liberal movement. And then many Turners that took part in the revolutions of 1848, they essentially left after this movement failed. There was also like a push throughout Germany to suppress a lot of the Turners. And so they left. They generally call themselves 48ers. Many of them came to America uh, when they were here. They went to become Union soldiers. A lot of them were active in public education and labor movements. But they also did something really interesting. And they formed what was called Turnverens. T-U-R-N-V-E-R-E-I-N-S. Now, these are translated as kind of gymnastics unions. Um, Turin or Turin means to practice gymnastics, and then Verin means club or union. So it's like a very literal translation. And these German-American gymnastics clubs promoted German culture, physical culture, and liberal politics. Atlanta's Turnverin was organized in March of 1873, and it was formally incorporated in September of 1874. They leased something called James Hall, which was equipped with $2,000 in gym equipment. And in later years, the club operated out of a hall on Marietta Street, and then they later moved to South Prior Street. Their first president, Karl Weinmeister, was born in Kassel, Germany, and he came to America in 1865, and he was a member of the city's German Lutheran Church, which I'll talk about in a second. And he was also a Budweiser agent and a builder and proprietor of the Weinmeister Hotel. He actually died in his hotel in 1898, and he's buried at Oakland Cemetery. St. John's Lutheran Church was an important part of Atlanta's German story. So many of the people in this episode were members. Um, It was started in 1869 as the German Lutheran Congregation by Reverend Hermann Bochum with immigrants from Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and northeastern France. Its first members were families like the Kants, the Ellers, Burkles, Eisenhuts, Fickens, um, Benders, and Agricolas. In 1872, it was reorganized, and they added a German school in the late 1870s. In 1899, it became the German Evangelical Synod of North America, and then in 1949, just the German Lutheran Church. Atlanta also had a German Ladies' Aid Society, which first appears around the mid-1890s, and for about a decade, it hosted balls, dinners, fairs, rummage sales. Um, The proceeds of most of this charity work went to that German Lutheran church and other German civic issues. There was also a Frutschenbond, this is so bad, sorry, Um, it's a very long word, society, which really just translates to Friendship Society, uh, which filed a charter in 1892, and it listed its charter members as F. Schrank and J.H. Klerner. Now, this club did not have a physical address, and it also did not admit non-Germans. 
There were several German Atlantans that church and club mentioned often in these kind of early articles. And I want to kind of just lump them together and really share some of their stories briefly. Like most of America's early beer history, we kind of owe it all to the Germans. Uh, Atlanta City Brewing, which is our first brewery, was established and run mainly by German Lutheran brewers. Albert Steiner was a German Jew who ran that company in its earliest existence. Um, They used to tout in the newspaper how their hops were shipped directly from Germany. And they also produced a beer called Steiner. Now, Steiner, if it's starting to sound familiar, uh, he died in 1922 and his estate really funded the Steiner Clinic, which was at Grady Hospital, and that building is still standing today. Coop or Cope and Steichen were makers of hand-carved and cast-iron moldings. Uh, Schwartz and Billum operated a restaurant. There was Louis Hunnicup. He was builder of the Fulton County Courthouse and co-owner of the Southern Terracotta Works. The Dank family were executives at the Fulton Bag and Cotton Mill. Uh, the Muller Shinners and the Mouse families owned really large bakeries. Henry Munch was a March watchmaker and jewelry store owner along with H.F. Linder. Carl Path or Paith Uh, was a musician. He ran a music studio. He directed the church's orchestra, and he also had the largest stamp collection in the city. Uh, And he later actually operated a stamp company store uh, in downtown Atlanta. And there was also Fred Wedemeyer. Um, I, I see his name all the time. It turns out he was the leader of a really famous concert band that just played throughout Atlanta's events. So everything changes for German Americans during World War I. Germany violated Belgium's neutrality when it invaded in 1914, and then they make up the one side of the war, which is called the Central Powers, and that's really Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Turkey, and it fights against the Allies, France, Great Britain, Russia, Italy, Japan, and then in 1917, the United States. So in the early years of the war, um, if you look at Atlanta's story, so like in August of 1914, first call of war, there are 300 Germans living in the United States, and they are all called to military service in Germany at the risk of losing their citizenship if they don't go. And so 30 of these men called were German Atlantans, and they left. But again, no one's kind of worried about it. As the war progressed, German language instruction in the U.S. ended There was many restrictions on German language publications. Um, The younger generation of Germans starts to exclusive use of English, which caused a lot of those Turner societies to shut down. At the start of the war, Atlanta's Turnveren had 200 members, and they held dances almost every single month. It was just dancing and dinners every month. The U.S. joins the war in 1917, and by 1918, Atlanta's Turnverein counted only 35 members. Now, they had already required U.S. citizenship as a requirement for admission. They had seven members who were in the armed forces fighting for America, and they talked about this a lot because, again, there was a lot of anti-German sentiment. The National Turnverein had legally changed their name to the American Gymnastics Union, but none of this protected them from discrimination. In June of 1918, a type notice on a sheet of white paper appeared on the glass entry doors of Atlanta's Turnverein. And it says, quote, Warning to all German traders, pro-Germans, Hun Swine. You are advised to close your lodges or organizations known as Turnverens or Freudenbonds or any other lodges, anything German, visible or invisible, or any taint or smell about them. If you are Americans, you will do this. 
If you are not, Americans will make you. Let the president and secretary of your organization take quick action. Signed, Committee of 100% Americans and 1,000% Anti-Germans. End quote. All mentions of Atlanta's Turnverein cease after the news of this letter. I don't know the exact specifics of, you know, when the club was dissolved or if they were formally dissolved or who talked about it, um, but there's nothing. And we do see the formation of a German-American club of Atlanta around 1930. So at this point, World War I, distant memory. But of course, I doubt anyone would have predicted World War II is on the horizon. This club was expressly non-political, non-sectarian, and it existed to promote German art, literature, music, singing, and language. They really thought of this as the revival of the Turnverein from the 1870s, which, by the way, was like Atlanta's oldest social group. It was a really big deal. This group in 1930 held a dinner dance at the Henry Grady Hotel. They charged a dollar a plate. It's about $18 today. And the idea was, you know, let's start to raise funds and see what this looks like. By the following month, they had another dance where they selected members and discussed a permanent clubhouse. Hermann Fritz Linder was elected president. And by December of 1930, the German-American Club of Atlanta formally dedicated their headquarters in an old house that was on 14th Street between Peachtree and West Peachtree. At 100 members strong, they named the clubhouse Dusch House, literally like German house. Uh, And in 1931, they added German language classes led by an Emory professor and, you know, back to having their social events. World War II began in 1939. And while the club maintained an existence in Atlanta, you can see the issues forming. In 1939, they held their annual festival and their president expressly states, in the newspaper, like bold headlines that quote, only ism in this club is Americanism, end quote. As rumors of Nazis in Atlanta circulated, a specific incident was brought to public attention. So Irish clergyman, Reverend James Kennedy of the Church of the Epiphany, which is on Seminole Avenue, I think today it's a school, often held these monthly book clubs. So this time, again, myths of World War II, he thinks it's a really good idea that they should read Mein Kampf. Um, and he talks about this later. He's like, oh, this, I wasn't being pro Hitler. I just thought it was important to read it. Um, but someone is in this meeting and they claim that Nazis were sitting in the back row taking notes. And those people that they saw were Herman Linder, his wife and his shop assistant. So the press talked to Linder. Again, he is president of the German American Club. He's a very prominent jeweler. And he's like, yes, yes. I mean, we were there, but me and my wife did not take notes. And only my shop assistant took notes. And he only did this because the reverend's German pronunciations were so bad, we were going to write it down and correct him later. And he's like, and you know, it never really came up. And so we threw the notes away. He ensures them that the Germans in Atlanta are no German-American Bund, which was a term to describe ethnic Germans living in the U.S. at the time that were pro-Nazi, anti-Semitic, and anti-communist. In 1940, after a lot of mounting anti-German sentiment, the German-American club takes down that sign that says Dusch House just to be safe. So I don't know if an actual incident happened, but they took it down. They did not want anybody to misinterpret what it said, again, because it's not in English. They were like, better safe than sorry. At this point, about a year into the war, membership had fallen to 30 people. Now, in quite the weird turn of events, in 1942, club president Herman Linder 
same guy who was at that church meeting, was interred at a German camp in North Dakota because of expressed Nazi sympathies. So we see this, obviously, I think we all know about the Japanese internment camps. I did not think of the German camps that prominently. I cannot find any details about what he said and how this is decided and any, you know, how this actually comes about. But we do see that he goes in 1942 and then he's released in 1945 and sent back to live in Atlanta. So right after the war. When he gets back to Atlanta, he's assigned a sponsor who was W.A. Mitchell, which honestly appears just to be like a parole officer because he really has to report to him weekly. And he also has to produce a monthly report of all his activities to send to, I don't know, it was the government or something. Now, all references of a German-American club, understandably, are very quiet until about the mid-1960s. And they seem to be active from the 1960s into the, even the 2000s. And in the 1980s, 1990s, and the 2000s, they are operating out of the Knights of Columbus, which is on Buford Highway. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's German community. If you're part of this community, you have stories, I would love to hear them. Because again, there's a lot of holes in this that it, you know, you're not going to read about in the paper all the time. So send me a message and let me know. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review. Um, you can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes. Remember to come to the podcast party if you can. I'd love to meet you. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>